Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Uh, well, you can grab a seat. Uh, good morning. Man, we, uh, we are here. We made it. Okay. There's still hope in this world. I know that the Aggies and the Astros don't lead you to believe that always, but we're here. It's okay. There's a new day. The sun rose. Maybe for the last time. I don't know. But we're here. And man, we're, we're here and we're in a world where we struggle to focus, right? We've been talking about this for, for weeks now, where we live in a culture where we struggle to focus and really zero in our thoughts and attention. Why? Because we live in a culture, in a world, in an environment where there are just constantly relationships and responsibilities and distractions and diversions all competing for our attention and our affections all at the exact same time. And yet in the midst of all those overwhelming options, God has given us the book of Philippians. He has given us this wonderful letter that was written to a church thousands of years ago and yet still holds these beautifully true principles that apply to us right here, right now in 2017. Man, we see in the book of Philippians this incredible guidance and direction for our hearts and for our minds in sort of shaping where do we look, what do we do. It's shaping the focus of our faith to show us what following Jesus is really all about. And yet, even as we've been walking through this, even as I have been studying this and pouring over this and preparing this, even as we've all been approaching this book and approaching these words, I mean, we still find ourselves, I am still finding myself distracted and confused. We are finding ourselves in just, in moments that, that we're just, we're still not really quite sure what's going on. Oh, the new key Let's line? look at the new key line because it's so amazing. It's amazing. That is amazing. Gorgeous. Then look at this one. This is what we call emerald. It Experience. almost kind of looks like what the Earth looks like when you're a bazillion miles away from the planet yes, moon. Yes, from the, at the planet Earth. moon. From the planet Isn't the moon. Isn't the moon a star? No, the moon is a planet, darling. Sun, the sun <sighs> is a star. Is well, the moon really a planet? The moon is a planet. Don't honey. look at me like that. It's the a, sun is a star. A is the sun not a star? I don't know what the sun is. The sun is, is a we star. Don't know what isn't the sun it? is. The, the sun, sun is, is a star. star. Excuse a planet. Me, Chunky, if you're listening to this me, you have to Rosebud. Google the moon. Someone, okay? I can guarantee you someone's Googling right now. The moon I is knew such it was a, planet. a planet. I can't the even stand it. The moon is not a planet. What else is it if it's not a planet? It is not. I believe it's a star or something. It's it is a not a moon. It's a didn't moon. Didn't you do that thing in grade school where you it's had to name moon. the planets and there was Uranus and there was Saturn and the one with the rings and the, 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 and then the <laughs> Earth? and with the, the moon is never in there, dude. It's not a planet. No, I don't know what it is besides. What is it, a baseball or something? Okay. Um, the satellite. moon is what? A, a natural satellite. A natural but satellite. things live on it. That, that means mean? it's a planet. I don't know. Is that know. what Google said? I don't know what no, it No, I don't says. like that at all. I don't know, even Me know what either. that means. We all have room to grow, right? None of us, none of us are perfect. We recognize that, right? We, we still get confused. We still find ourselves failing. We still find ourselves uh, struggling in certain environments, in certain classes, right? We find ourselves in moments and relationships where we're like, man, I don't know what's really going on. And yet what we know, what we profess, what we see in Scripture is that as Christians, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are changed, right? You are a new creation, is what you're called. You are, you've been adopted out of sin and death, and you've been adopted into the family of the Lord Most High. You are a son and a daughter of the God of the universe. 
right? And you're going to have that relationship for all of eternity. You've been changed in such a dramatic way. And yet, even as Christians, even as these people who have been changed so dramatically, we are still changing, right? Even though we've been transformed, we're still not yet perfected. One scholar says that we've already experienced forgiveness for our sin, but we've not completely stopped sinning, right? We've, been, we've already been set apart as God's holy people, but we do not live altogether holy lives. We've already received the Holy Spirit, yet we have not fully yielded ourselves to his influence. We live in this strange tension where as believers, we know what's true and we, we profess it with our mouths and we maybe sometimes we live in it with our hands and our feet and sometimes we feel it with our hearts and yet there are other times where we don't. We live in this terrible struggle tension where we want to be here and yet we find ourselves there. We want to be better and yet we find ourselves failing. And this is a process that all Christians are walking through. This is a process that we actually see Paul address right here in Philippians chapter 2 where he's turning the Christian's focus to the process of becoming more and more like Christ. That's what we see. That's what we're going to look at this morning, starting in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, my dear friends, right, these people, remember, he started this church in Philippi. So he knows these men. He knows these women. He's, he's genuinely missing them. He wants to be with them. He has this, this affection for them. And he says, man, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, Right? He says, man, I know that you guys are committed to the cause of Christ. He says, I know that you are moving forward in such a positive, wonderful direction, helping others find and follow Jesus, following after Jesus on you know, yourselves. He says, man, I know you've been doing this. I know you've been just really just, man, wrecking shop in this. He says, not only in my presence, right? Not only when I was there, but even more so now that I'm gone, you've just been striving forward. He says, and now I want you to keep Doing that, he says, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. Right now, he's very specifically, he's not saying you're working for your salvation. Right? This is very abundantly clear, especially in the Greek, is this idea that you're not necessarily working to obtain your salvation. He says you are working, you're working it out. In other words, you're working to implement it. Our, 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 our sanctification, right? This is this idea of sanctification, this process of becoming more and more like Christ. And it's putting our salvation into use, right? It's putting this gift into use. It's using it, which is what gifts are meant for, right? They're meant to be used. They're meant to be enjoyed. My daughter, Charlotte, is almost three years old. And I'll tell you, someone, I, don't, I think it was her grandparents, gave her this box of Disney princess dress-up clothes. Right now, it was a cool box, right? It was like, had a flap, came wrapped in plastic, like, whoa. You know, it was, it was great. It was a great box. But I'll tell you, it wasn't nearly as fun when it was just the box as opposed to when she actually put on one of the outfits. I know. I can't handle it, right? It's just too much. It's too much. And she would, she would put on these clothes and just immediately, like just as she was putting on the different, I think the Cinderella one, she was putting on the Cinderella one, the Bell one, the Snow White one. She's putting these things on. She just, she, just, oh, she just knew. She just knew. Like, Charlotte, take a picture. She's like, yeah, duh. No one. You know, of course. Put me, tag me on that. Right? Like she just, she knew. 
And, and man, it was when she was using this gift, man, it brought so much joy to her, it brought so much joy to us, her parents, to her grandparents who gave her the gift when we sent them pictures like this of this you know, glamour shot standing underneath my kitchen counter, man. We just, there were these incredible moments of, wow, we, we got these really cool chocolates. Someone gave us these like really cool like fancy chocolates uh, that were like, I don't know, like pumpkin explosion. I don't remember. Something weird. And uh, as we were eating, we were like, Charlotte was like, oh, can I have one? We were like, oh, sure. You know, like this is a gift to our whole family. Like it's not just for mommy and daddy to enjoy. This is, you should be, partake, right? You should be a part of the blessing of the gift of chocolate. Uh, and so <laughs> I didn't realize, yeah, fancy chocolate turns your child into a demon nightmare. Like that's just the way it goes. Because of the consistency and the texture, man, it was just, it was terrifying, right? But so much joy, right? So much joy in her <laughs> disturbing face. Like that is just a beautiful moment where the gift is being used, right? When Paul is talking about working out our salvation, he's saying, you've been given this incredible gift and you should use it, right? When you're using the gift, that's what brings everyone the most joy, that's what brings everyone satisfaction. What brings everyone fulfillment. To see the gift as the giver and as the recipient. So much joy is found when the gift is actually used. Paul says you have that opportunity. Use the gift of salvation you've been given. Because we live in this strange tension where we are co-workers with the Lord. And yet we're also his field. We're also his building. In other words, not only are we the ones that are working, but we are actually the work, right? We are the guys laying down the bricks for the building, but we're also the building. Like it's, this, it's this tension, it's this strange situation where we find ourselves, this mysterious relationship where we are working out our salvation because it's God who works in us. It's this cooperative partnership that again, we, we don't fully understand. But there's this overlap. Paul says, man, live in it. Embrace it. Take advantage of it. He says, put that gift into use. Because as we follow Christ, as we become more and more like him, right? That, that, that's where we find joy. That's where we find satisfaction. We've been saved so that we might be enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. We've been set free for freedom. Not just to sit, but to go and to live, to work. We've been saved by grace through faith. Right? It wasn't work that we earned. That it's not something that we deserve, that we gained by our own merit. And yet we've been saved and God has laid out works for us to do. He wants us to do something with that salvation. He wants us to work that thing out. If my faith in Christ Right, leads to this new birth, this I'm a new creation, I'm born again, then the idea of sanctification, it is my growth. Right? And it's meant to take place in community. When, when Paul's talking to this audience, when he's talking to this church, you should know every time we see this idea of this process of becoming more like Christ, this process of sanctification, it always is taking place in a communal context. It's always addressed at a group, not an individual so we need to recognize that, man, we need each other for this to take place. We need iron sharpening iron, right? We need the healthy friction that comes when you're engaging with other people, when you're discussing with other people. 
You need to be walking alongside of one another in relationship as you're seeking to strengthen your relationship with God. You get to strengthen your relationship with one another. Because that's what sanctification is ultimately, right? It's, it's engaging in the relationship that we have with God, the relationship that's been given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are living now in this healthy relationship, right? A healthy relationship is one that is growing, right? That, that's changing. A healthy relationship is one where you're seeking to please the other person. You're, you're seeking to make them better or serve them, right? That, that's what a healthy relationship is. Some of us have experienced that in our families or maybe in dating or wherever it might be, right? But we've, we've seen, man, a healthy relationship, you're, you're loving each other, you're caring for each other, you're serving one another, you're seeking to, to, to please and, and bless that other person. If that's not taking place in the relationship, it's just, it's not that the relationship is gone, it's just not healthy. He's cute? Watch Weston, look. Not healthy, right? Like that's, it's hilarious, but it's not healthy, right? We, that relationship is still secure. She is still his mom. Try as he might to change that fact. She is still his mom. And that relationship, even if it's not going in this upward trajectory, it still exists. But man, you want a healthy relationship to be one where you are serving and loving and caring for one another rather than terrifying each other with disturbing unicorns or chocolate faces, right? Like that's what we want. We want to have a healthy relationship with the God who saved us, right? And yet we still find ourselves struggling. That's the reality of where we are. We still find ourselves struggling with that. We struggle to live in a way that pleases him. We know, man, he's calling me to this life. He's calling me to, to think this way and to feel this way and to live this way, right? Things we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And yet so many times we find ourselves struggling to really engage in that relationship because sometimes it feels like a burden. Sometimes it feels like, man, God, I just, I don't have, I don't have the capacity to handle this right now. I'm upset with you, or, or there's these other things going on. I just, I can't take on another thing on my plate. Sometimes it feels like an unobtainable goal. We say, man, a relationship with God, man, I, I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know really how that works. I've never really seen that played out in my life or someone else's life. I, I'm not really sure if I could ever really even get there, right? I have these friends, or I know these other people that live in these ways, and they do this. They, like, went overseas for, like, two weeks, and I'm like, what? Like, I just, I can't do these things. And so we feel, we convince ourselves, man, that's just, it's impossible, or I'm too busy, or, or I'm too much of a failure, right? I, I have these struggles, and I have these issues, and I have this brokenness that no one knows about. And I'm afraid that if I acknowledge it with God, or if I acknowledge it with others, my life's going to fall apart. Suddenly we find ourselves, man, maybe wanting that relationship on some level, yet convincing ourselves that it's just it's impossible. We don't know where to go next. We don't know where to start. How do we overcome that struggle? How do we move past those, those, those hang-ups, those hindrances? Well, when we look in Scripture, what we realize is that we can't. In and of ourselves, we are always going to fail maintaining or pursuing a healthy relationship with God. It's just part of who we are. And yet God, because he loves us, he moves towards us. And Paul tells us in verse 13 that he's going to actually be the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort. 
right? And it's all for his good pleasure, right? This is, this is all for him. This is all for his glory. It's all for his pleasure. It's all for his healthiness, his satisfaction. God is moving in this way, and he's changing our hearts, and he's changing our minds. He says, I- I've saved you. I've given you the gift of eternal life that is only made possible by faith, by trusting in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. If you trust in that, he says, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to bring you into my family, He says, and I'm not just going to leave you there. He says, I'm going to keep working, right? I'm going to bring forth in you. I'm going to generate within you this new desire, this new effort. In other words, I'm going to change within you your affections and your abilities. That's what he's promised. And this is something that God promised long ago, way before Paul, way before the church in Philippi. God promised this actually to his original chosen people, the nation of Israel. He told them in Jeremiah 31. He told them in Ezekiel 36. He said, hey, I'm going to give you this new covenant. There's going to be this new relationship between you and me. And what's going to happen is I'm going to give you a new heart. Because I've given you rules and I've given you regulations and I've given you boundaries. And he says, and you know what? You are going to fail to meet them every single time. Because ultimately what I know needs to happen is you have to be transformed. You can't just be regulated. You can't just religious yourself into my good graces. You can't just make yourself righteous. He says, I'm going to have to do it. So I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not just going to throw you away. I'm going to change who you are on your most fundamental level. So I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to change. I'm going to bring forth in you both the desire and the effort. I'm going to bring forth in you the right attitude and the right abilities. I'm going to write my law on your heart. That's what he told the nation of Israel. So I'm going to write my law on your heart. It's going to be a part of who you are. And this is beautiful. And a lot of us, maybe we've experienced this, maybe recently, where we see, man, God is changing the way I feel about this person or about the situation, or about this future life decision. God is changing the way that I feel about him, or about being in his word, or spending time in prayer. Man, God is changing my affections. Maybe we've seen it with the Lord. We've definitely seen it just in life, right? This is a thing that happens. When you adopt a new role, generally speaking, you find yourself with these new affections being stirred up in your heart and in your soul. When you became an Aggie, you could see something like that. You could see guys just sitting around this inflatable, dog type creature and you just see this and you're like oh yeah that's fine that's fine yeah it's Reveille. she's the be- she's she's the queen of A&M right like whatever of course of course you put an inflatable like giant thing of her in the back of your child of course you get a nutcracker looks <laughs> oh god that's just like one of the most disturbing haunted house things of course you get a, a nutcracker that kind of looks like Reveille crossed with a lion who wants to like eat your soul. Like of course you did. Of course you buy your child a, a onesie that says I drool maroon and white. Which that's a severe medical issue. Like if you if your child is drooling maroon like go to a doctor. Like that is not that's not healthy. Of course I buy my kid a onesie that says sorry about the spit up thought I saw a longhorn. Oh, God, right? <laughs> of course, of course I do this, right? Well, you see this, and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I have like three of those. Why? Like what? In like adult size. Like why? <laughs> What's the problem? 
Why? Because we have affections that have been changed. You were adopted into the family of Aggiehood. And you said, this is who I am now. This is what I'm about. This is what my children will wear. Because my affections have changed, right? The things that I care about, the way that I'm, like, the things that I desire, the, the way that I'm pulled, the way that I'm moved, man, it's changed because I'm in a new position. God says, you have been adopted into my family, and I'm going to change within you your heart. I'm going to change your affection. I'm going to change what moves you, what draws you. I'm going to change these things within you. But not only that, not only am I going to change just the way that you feel, he says, but I'm also going to change the way that you live. I'm going to give you not just a new affection. I'm going to give you the ability to obey. He says, I'm going to bring forth in you not only the desire, but also the effort. In other words, he says, I'm going to make sure that you have what you need to fulfill the obligation, to fulfill the, the desires that I put in front of you, the calling that I've given you. He says, I'm going to make sure you can do that. Because sometimes, even though we might have all the right motivations, we might have all the right affections, just because we have desire doesn't mean we can actually see these things through to completion, right? This isn't something that's always possible within us. We might have the desire, and yet we still lack the effort. We see this with the Lord. We see this just in life. I don't know. I just woke up from a little nap. It's a little dark, but you guys silly? I'm still going to send it. Well, that hurt, but the ET still runs, so round two. He's <laughs> tweaked. <laughs> Snow's too soft. Another day, another beer. Truth. We might have all the right desire. We might have all the right affection. And yet, sometimes we just, we lack the ability to pull it off, right? Sometimes we just are missing that final piece. And yet God says, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you not just a new heart, but I'm going to give you a new ability. Not just the new affection, but a new ability. Romans 8 tells us that we have the ability to walk by the Spirit. In other words, we can be, give ourselves over to the control of the Holy Spirit. The, the guide, the counselor, the instructor, the teacher, the comforter, the one who comes and indwells every believer. We can give ourselves over to his direction and his movement and his empowerment. Suddenly we can find ourselves producing his fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These things are made possible. These things can be produced in our lives by the work of the spirit within us. God is saying, man, I'm going to not just leave you where you are, and I'm not just going to give you a desire that you'll never see fulfilled. He says, I'm going to give you the ability to obey. I'm going to change within you how you're equipped, how you're built. And so how do we do that, right? How, how do we give ourselves over to this process? Because it's not something that we just sit back and let happen, right? It's not apathy. But at the same time, it's not just something that we can just make up our mind and make it, you know, do it to it. Like, it's not activism. Somewhere in the middle, there's this balance. At some point, we're the coworker, and at some point, we're the building. So how do we navigate that? How do we try to just position ourselves where the Spirit can work through our lives? What's beautiful about Philippians 2 is Paul gives us three practical little pieces. He says, 
You want to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Which seems a little strange, right? He's talking about this process of, of changing, of transformation. Then all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, and don't like, you know, don't moan. Like don't, don't grumble. Why? Because what happens is when you grumble, when you complain, when you're arguing, when you're caught up in, in this kind of environment, in this type of activity, what's happening is you are allowing pride to dictate your life. You're allowing your own personal motivations and expectations to dictate where you go and what you do and how you behave and how you talk to other people. Paul's saying you need to kill that. In other words, you need to stay humble. If you're grumbling and crying, man, that this generally is an indicator of a lack of humility. My son, Lawrence, is wonderful. He is uh, just now eight months old. And man, I'll tell you, uh, he's super happy to be at the doctor. He's a strange child. Uh, but he will find himself in moments in life where he's just got to cry, right? He's just upset. Generally, it's about 5 a.m. And he's like, what's the deal? It's dark. I'm not playing. I'm kind of hungry. And he just cries without fail, just about every day. Today, he waited till six. Praise God. Like, that's just the way it is. And man, I'll tell you, he just finds himself over and over again, just he's disappointed in life. And so he cries. That's why he cries. And he's one of the loud, oh my gosh, he's one of the loudest criers I've ever encountered in my entire life. I went to Aggie football games. I was like, this is loud. And then I had a son that was like, what? Like, this is something else. And he cries. Why? Because he's disappointed with the way that life looks. He's disappointed. It's not meeting his expectations. He says, I need to have food right now. I need a, a banana yum yum. Like I want that. It's a thing that I give him in my home. Banana yum yum. And he loves them. And I, he says, I want that. And so I'm just, ah, and I'm just going to cry. He says, I want to play with the thing. I want to see my sister. I want to see my mom. I want to do these different things. I want to be awake. I want to be asleep. Like he just, at any given moment, if something is not aligning with his expectations, he is just crying. And Paul says, when that happens in our lives, we need to recognize we are not being led by the Spirit. We are not allowing ourselves to be humbled and, and allowing ourselves to be directed by a higher, better power. He says, you are allowing yourself, you're allowing pride to rise up and, and, and move the way that you think and feel and act. And so we should ask ourselves, right, if we're trying to position ourselves for the work of the Spirit in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, where and why do we complain? And is that you? Where and why do you complain? Where, where is it? Is it at work or in school? Is it with your family members? Is it about certain things like money? Or is it about uh, health, of your own health, someone else's health? Man, is, is there a specific environment where you know, man, just immediately popped your mind, man, like this is, I'm really down. Like I really, I, I complain, I, I grumble a lot in this area of life. Now is mourning, is being sad wrong? Absolutely not. Scripture tells us that we should mourn with those who mourn. We should weep with those who weep. But, we should never allow ourselves to become so fixated on a missed expectation that it's overriding the way that God is calling us to think and to feel and to live. Paul says you want to eliminate that grumbling, you want to eliminate that complaining. Counteract it with thanksgiving. Right? Discontentment and gratitude cannot occupy the same space. So you override that. You say, God, I'm, I'm thankful for what you have done, for what you have provided with, who you are working through, for the relationships that I do have, for the, the things that I do know to be true, you know, whatever it might be. 
We say, God, I want to humble myself and I want to position myself for the Spirit's work. Not only in humbling myself, not only in, in, in this, you know, killing the pride, but Paul says you also should be focused on being pl- blameless and pure, right? Children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine as lights in the world. Paul's saying this is another way you position yourself for the work of the Spirit. You stay blameless. You stay pure. And this doesn't mean to stay perfect, right? In the Greek here, when he's using this term for blamelessness, it's not this idea of someone who never makes mistakes. Instead, what's being communicated is it's a person who deals with their mistakes. Not someone who never has them, never has a failure, but it's someone who owns the failure. Right? This is very significant. This is an incredibly unique approach to failure in our society. Right? This is something that when it happens, when people actually own up to their own issues, when they own up to their mistakes, to their faults, I mean, it, it stands out. Jake, what you doing? Okay. Is it coming out okay? Yeah. I'm going to feel much better. A light in the darkness, right? This is what this is. It is so unique. Paul says, if you are willing to just own up, if you're willing to just admit, I'm pooping, right? If you can just take that step, he says, what's going to happen is that in the midst of this crooked society, in the midst of this broken world, people are going to see you, and they're not going to see perfection, right? They're not going to see someone who's not broken, but they're going to see someone who owns it. And they're going to see someone who apologizes for it. And they're going to see something that's different. He says, and you're going to shine like a light in the darkness if you live in this way. If you're actually willing to position yourself in this way, if you're, if you're willing to be blameless, if you're willing to own up, he says, this is going to be different. Your distinction in the world is so crucial We see it pop up in Scripture over and over and over again. We're not only only letters to churches saying, like, you're going to be, you know, different. You're going to be a salt. You're going to be a light. You're going to be a city on a hill. Jesus Christ talking to his followers. He says, man, you need to be different. Like, people are going to know you as my disciples. Why? Because you're different. People are going to know that you follow me. Why? Because you're different. You love each other. You forgive each other. You're going to serve people. You're going to serve the widows and the orphans, the disfranchised. You're going you're to move towards the needs around you, and you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, and you're going to forgive your enemy. He says, you're going to be so different that when people look at you, they can't help but see me. He says, that's what your role is. That's what you're called to, to be a people who are different. And yet so often we find ourselves lacking that distinction. So maybe this morning we have to take a moment, maybe today we carve out some time and we confess to God, Lord, I know I am not different in these areas. I know I lack distinction in these environments, in this lie that I'm perpetuating, in this lifestyle that I'm adopting. In this relationship that I'm just sticking to even though I know it's toxic. In this habit that I continue to perpetuate in this this class, in this environment, with these people, with this, this attitude that I've adopted. Man, God, there are areas of our lives where we know there's no difference, there's no distinction. There's nothing that separates us from the lost and the broken society around us. Paul says, man, own it. Step into that. Lean into that. Seek 
forgiveness from other people. Seek forgiveness from the Lord. Be blameless. And that you acknowledge your failure. And you ask the Lord to move you forward. But man, as you're seeking to do these things, as you're trying to position yourself by being humble, by being blameless, he says, here's what you're going to need. He says, you've got to hold on to the word of life. You've got to stay rooted in God's word and God's truth so that on the day of Christ, at the end of all these things, at the end of all these times, I'm going to have a reason to boast that I didn't run in vain, that I didn't labor in vain, that the work, that the effort that I put forth, that the things that I taught you, the things that I showed you and modeled for you, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to rejoice that these things were useful because ultimately I'm going to see the change in your life. God wants to see this change in our lives. He wants to continue to transform us. And we should want that for ourselves. We should want it for each other. What a beautiful picture that Paul looks at these people. He hasn't seen for a few years. Right? He knew them. He loves them. He's never going to see them again on this earth. And yet he says, man, it would give me such great joy to know that you've been changed for the better, that you've been sanctified, that you've become more and more like Christ. Man, that's what would give me joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. I, give, I would give so much thanks to see that take place. I mean, who is it in your life that you care about in that way? Who is it that you want to see become more like Christ? There's going to be people in our lives that maybe, uh, maybe we want them to just know Christ. Right? We, we are here right now, this church, Grace Bible Church, we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. And, and some of you, you, you're a part of that vision, you're a part of that movement. And you say, yeah, I, there are people in my lives that I know, I want to see them find Jesus. I want to see them begin a relationship. Maybe there's other people that we know in our lives where we say, man, I want that person to follow after Jesus even more. And yet the reality is that a lot of times that's a that's a desire, that's a focus that we lack. A lot of times we say, yeah, I want to follow you. Maybe I'm going to find people, I want to know people that, that will find Jesus, I want to help people do that. But when we think about following after Jesus, a lot of times that's just sort of a self-directed desire. It's a self-directed expectation. So who is it around you that you actually want to see follow Jesus more fully, that give their life over to his control, position themselves for the work of the Spirit? We're called to live in a way that pleases our Heavenly Father. And for that to happen, we have to allow the Lord to shape our affections, to shape our abilities through the indwelling spirit, through the living word that we can hold fast to. Man, do you want that for yourself and do you want that for other people? Man, if you don't know where to start with that, you're like, man, I want to be a part of that process. I want to be a part of helping people find Jesus. I want to be a part of helping people follow Jesus. I would encourage you, uh, one thing you can do if, you, if you're like, man, I, I don't know. There, no one's coming to mind. I don't have that person in my life. We, I would love for you to reach out to us. I would love for you to text us. Text us sometime today or this week. Come talk with us today and, and talk with us about, you know, we would love to put you on a path to find those people because we know those people. And we would love to connect you with them. Or maybe some of us in this room right now are saying, man, I, I don't know. I don't know where I am. I don't know if I have that relationship. I don't know where I land with this Jesus thing. And if that's the case, man, text us. Come talk with me. Talk with a staff member. Text us later this week. Man, we would love to just start a conversation with you about who Jesus is and what he's done. But remember, all of these things that were communicated, they were given to a body, right? They were given to a community. 
And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to carve out a little bit of time. We're going to take the next few minutes, and we're actually going to talk to each other, right? We're actually going to use the community that God's intentionally placed around us. And what we're going to do is we're going to find a neighbor, one or two people, just depending on how numbers work out, find one or two people right around you. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't, uh, but you just are going to share with them, hey, this is where I want to grow. Right? This is where I want to grow. I, I, I know that God is calling me to, to, to humble myself. I know, man, that God is calling me to, to be a light in this class or in this workplace with these people. Man, I know that God is doing something to, to change me in this environment. I don't know what it is. And you don't have to be uh, super specific if you don't want to. You can be as specific or as vague as you like. Right, however you're comfortable with. But you're going to take a moment, you're going to share very briefly with one or two people around you. I mean, this is where I, I, I want to go. This is where I know that God is wanting to change my affections or change my abilities. And, and after you briefly share that for one another, with one another, then pray for each other. Pray, say, God, move in this. Lord, God, grant this request. God, let your will be done. Let your spirit transform the life of this other person. All right? So find that neighbor. We're going to give you a few minutes and we'll wrap you up in a little bit. Ready, set, go. Lord God, we thank you that you've given us, Lord, this time. God, we thank you that we've given, you've given us this, this opportunity to, to share with one another, Lord, to, to encourage one another, to uh, challenge one another. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to provide opportunities for us throughout the week, Lord, not, not just on in five minutes on a Sunday morning, but Lord, you would continue to raise up others, or Lord, you would push us to, to be that person who initiates the intentional conversation. Just about where we see you move and where you, we see you calling us to go. So God, we thank you that you've given us the promise, not only to begin a relationship with us, but God, a a promise to cultivate that relationship by changing our hearts, by, by changing our desire, by changing our effort. If you would take a moment right now and just take a moment, just thank God. Just, just thank God for whatever might come to mind. Maybe it's the fact that you have an opportunity to be with him for all of eternity. Maybe it's something he's done in, in your life or your friend's life and in a relationship you've seen changed or a, an opportunity to share the gospel that you were presented with. Thank the Lord for just the next few moments, for who he is and for what he's doing as we prepare to worship.